0: Turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 6. We'll read the whole chapter. (laughs) There is an evil that I've seen the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoying no good, do not all go to to the one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes and the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named. And it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what advantage to man. For who knows what is good for a man, for man while he lives the few days of his vain life which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Heavenly Father, to our understanding, the, the reading of your word, its mm-hmm. exposition, may it speak to our, our heart and soul today in such a way to transform us from what we are to what we ought to be in Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. <coughs> We are a church that believes in the ordinary means of grace, and by that we mean the reading of the word, the application of the word, and the right administering of the sacraments of the baptism and the Lord's Supper that we have before us today. Uh, I'll remind you now that our communion, as we prepare our hearts for communion, our communion is open to members of good standing of an evangelical church. That means if you love Jesus... And have been admitted to the church by a profession of faith in Christ alone and nothing else, then you're welcome to come to the Lord's table. It's for, it's, this is for the church. It's for the strengthening it's declaring our um, communion uh, with the Lord and with each other. And then, then we would also ask that if you are professing faith in Christ, but if you but if you have things in your life that you are simply not willing to repent of and not willing to change, there's a warning in First Corinthians 11 that we want to take to heart, and, um, and 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 it might show that you're not truly related to Him. But it also might uh, uh, be a matter of drinking judgment on yourself, and that's a serious thing that we that that we. Uh, consider as we come to the Lord's table. So I ask you to think about that, but, but more than anything, this is spiritual food for those who need strength in the midst of a hostile world. And, uh, and this is not for perfect people, it's for people who are repenting people who want to change and be more conformed to the image of Christ. So I'll say that as we prepare by hearing the word uh, this morning. To receive um, the Lord's supper, Solomon writes in chapter six. He, this uh, this incredible book of, of <clears throat> almost despair at times. It seems like this this could this could be depressing, especially this chapter. You know, better to be a stillborn child than to live a life under the sun, and better than never having seen the sun. Than to uh, live life uh, without the the joy of knowing God. And in fact, even, even being prosperous and successful, he says, There is an evil I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. Solomon saw a lot of things in his life as king of Israel. Being raised, he was, he was to the manner born. He was born into the kingdom. He was born uh, as a result of the illicit uh, relationship of, of uh, his father David and Bathsheba. The first uh, born of that relationship, remember, was taken by the judgment of God, and then comes Solomon. And then rapidly comes the end of his father's life. We learned about Josiah, the good king of Israel, this morning in in down Sunday school class, and that was wonderful. And uh, Josiah was what, what, was he, eight years old? Eight years old when he assumed the throne. Well, Solomon was not much older than that. Uh, we don't know exactly how old Solomon was, but he wasn't much older than that. He had a heart as a young man to, to ask for wisdom, and he did, he, when God graciously granted that, and he graciously granted him wealth and success as a result of his young prayer. And we read the account of Solomon, we read the account of Solomon, the wisdom God gave him. We read the book of Proverbs, we read the wisdom God gave uh, Solomon in Proverbs. And we read the the wisdom that he uh, gave him. uh, Obviously at one time he had a successful marriage because he wrote the Song of Songs. But then we read 1 Kings 11 and the sad account of how he went astray. And we're told explicitly that it's his his desire to build his kingdom by foreign uh, alliances with foreign entities with um, the surrounding pagan nations through marriage. That's how they solidified uh, their treaties. And not only did he marry these women, he adopted their gods and he worshipped them. And if you don't understand that Ecclesiastes is written as a book of repentance, after that, you you read First Corinthians eleven and said this man wasn't even converted because his heart, obviously, was turned away from the Lord. And I, I truly believe that's the only way you can make sense out of this book. I I remember as a um, And, um, and different ministries, and, and often a feature of those ministries would would be to have hear someone's testimony. I never remember hearing these testimonies, and um, and people would talk about their their uh, pre-conversion life, and and I remember hanging on every word, and and that the. And then, how coming away from that sometimes thinking is, wow, they're they're like really boring after they came to Christ. That's somehow that's the way we think. But really, what they're trying to say is all the stuff that I had, all the adventures I had. It's like Solomon. This is Solomon's testimony of saying I had it all, and what all of it meant was nothing in comparison. To the contentment of knowing God. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor. So that he lacks nothing. Of all that he desires. Everything that he wants. He's describing himself. This is it. And and yet he doesn't have the power to enjoy it. This is vanity. This is a grievous evil. I imagine Solomon fathered over a hundred children. I imagine he's talking about himself again. Lives many years. So that the days of his years are many, his soul that his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. He talks about burial. He's, and then he goes into this dismal depression that a stillborn child is better off than he. The insecurity of wealth, the insecurity of the things in this life. Jesus made it made it very plain. What is a prophet? A man if he gains everything in the world, yet he loses his soul. I, I, I did this series of messages many years ago and, and at the time, and I, I, have, I apologize for not doing the current research, but I bet it's the same. Yeah, I personally could probably tell you, or someone who keeps up the statistics could probably tell you. I don't think it's any different but the higher the income bracket, the more, the more dissatisfaction in life, the greater the suicide rate. But now it's spread to all facets of our culture, this, this existential depression. Some of the mo- our most famous authors, our, our most famous philosophers, every, everybody comes to college, they begin to love Nietzsche. They, 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 they fall in love with the existential novelists. Because and because they and they they seem to have it all, and yet they end their own life. This is a note that you're hearing from Solomon. He doesn't go all the way there, but he certainly would lead you there. Be glad you live with it. Under the completion of the the word of God, we have the whole counsel of God. We know the answer. Solomon knows the answer, and we get to the answer, especially at the end of the book. (coughs) But the answer is Jesus. God's revelation of his son. But in the meantime, we have a message to proclaim about the insecurity of, of, of earthly treasure, Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount, "Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where where moths eat it up and rust corrupts, dust covers it. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven." Last Sunday, I, I talked to Harrison our music director, told me about <laughs> I didn't know this was a thing. U-Haul trailers with trailer hitches in Memphis, Tennessee. You know, too many pre- they'd heard too many sermons where the preacher says there are no, U-haul, no uh, hitches on U-Haul trailers, but <laughs> apparently there are now. But, they were, but still, the point is the same. You don't take anything with you out of this life. The other problem he addresses in this text in verses 6 through 9 is the problem of insatiable desire. Um, Actually, 7 through 9, verse 6 ends that thought. Although he lives lives 2,000 years and he doesn't enjoy all these good gifts that he has, then um, what good is that? Insatiable desire. All the toil of a man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. Everything we do is for temporary satisfaction. Yet his appetite is not satisfied. That's an, it's an interesting translation. The actual word for appetite is soul. If you want to drill down to the problems of our culture, this is the problem right here. People are trying to fill their appetite or their soul with the stuff of this world. I read watched the news last night when the little chirons that come off the bottom of the screen where you get the news digest said so that the, the average teenager spends eight hours a day on screen. Mm-hmm. You know what they're watching? The average adult probably half that. Probably. But still a lot. Of pornography and film that is spewing into our world, people are trying to satisfy a longing that cannot be satisfied with an image. And I'm convinced those pornographic <clears throat> images and those pornographic films and pornographic things that are presented at every turn in our culture. Are a direct result of this desire, this insatiable desire to fulfill something in our life. It's demonic in its origin. And again, it's not new. This is why Solomon, this is why Solomon is giving this testimony. He had a thousand concubines. Can you, you can't even imagine that kind of the insatiable desire and he knew that none of that could satisfy him or fulfill him the same is true about substance abuse whether it's alcohol or whether it's food or whether whether it's prescription drugs or illegal drugs, all of this is just rampant. <laughs> I mean, in my, uh, I remember going out to get my D-men in Colorado 15 years ago, and they first, the uh, medical marijuana. I, I, I'm such a clean, Colorado Springs, such a clean city. Well, then the next year, every other storefront was a medical marijuana dispensary. <laughs> What? Now, now you can drive to Missouri. And our, I talked to our police officers out here. They don't even bother with that anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm out coaching the kids in the football and right next to the Walker Park. And they're, people are just smoking marijuana out in the open. An insatiable desire to have their appetite filled. all all these things that we consume the mouth consumes and brings into the heart better is a sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite again it's the soul appetite is, is the same word for soul is for appetite you can't feel it you can't fill it with things, even good things, even the good gifts that God gives us. You can't fill it enough. There's never enough. The only thing that can fill your soul is the Lord Jesus Christ, is the meditation upon God's Word, it's the ordinary means of grace. And all of these ordinary means, the Word read, the, the word applied, the, the, the sacraments uh, uh, administered rightly, all of these are to point to our union with Christ. When we feed upon these elements, we feed upon Christ. And, that, and we don't literally consume the body and blood of Christ, but we feed upon his person in our soul. And then we are satisfied. We play around with these things down here. One of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes, he says, we're like children uh, playing in the mud and eating mud pies compared to the glory that awaits us with the relationship with Jesus. Which brings me to the last point. It's impossible. It's impossible to be content without Christ. This... This passage by itself, this chapter 6, a lot of commentators skip it because it's so depressing. This is a depressing chapter. So I'm just going to give you the answer. I'm not going to leave you here. And he says this is going to come in waves. This is this is written almost a thousand years ago, and here we are. And it's still coming, and it comes in every culture. And the more we... We, uh, we live the more intricate and exotic we, we, we come to the place where there is nothing new under the sun because the same spiritual problems exist. We just invent new and, and perhaps more sophisticated ways of catering to these things. So the rhetorical question is who knows what good For man, while he lives a few days of his vain life, when he passes like a shadow. A shadow is constantly changing, constantly shifting. And how can you tell by looking at at a shadow what reality is? Well, that's all Solomon had. (laughs) The good news is that we have much more than Solomon had. We don't have a shame. We have the complete revelation of God given to us in the Bible. 39 books of the Old Testament, 27 in the New, which is the inscripturated Word of God. And now we know that what he is pointing to is the person of Jesus. His future heir. This is how what we know. He had a shadow. We have the fulfillment of that shadow. Uh, 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 Who is behind that shadow? We have the Lord Jesus Christ. Who came, who fulfilled all righteousness, who calls us to have him as our desire, as him as the one who satisfies our appetite, our soul. And if we have him, we have everything. And we have everything we need now for life now and life forever. I would ask you in closing, do you know this great truth? Have you have you committed yourselves, body, mind, and soul, through your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, as we read that confession? Because here is life, life now abundantly, and life forever abundantly. He delivers us from the misery and the and the, and the uh, depression of life under the sun. Apart from Him, we have this glorious truth. Psalm comes to it at the end of his book. You know, he doesn't leave us in chapter 6 and he has this great hopeful note that God reveals to him at the end, but we have the full knowledge, the full understanding. It's available to you even now if you would put your faith and trust in Christ alone. Bless you, Father. Father, we do thank you for uh, your words. They're, they're difficult. They are painful. And Father, we, we confess that so often we have lived life under the sun, seeking our own pleasure, our own way, even after coming to faith and trust in you. We're grateful that you are God who loves returning sinners. And Father, we, we return to you. We return to you to be filled by your grace, through faith and trust in Christ. We return to you to renew that covenant and the Lord's Supper. And I ask that you would strengthen us with these ordinary, uh, ordinary means for that divine purpose. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.